Let's see if we can get through the book of Mark. Chapter 4 of Mark. We finished up chapter 3. I'm just kind of being led by the Spirit to get through this. And uh, particular things are being talked about as we go. I don't really have any plan to do anything different. And so I like doing the Bible verse by verse because we get to read the Bible as it is. And I think we just need to read. People need to read line upon line, precept by precept, here a little, there a little, and learn. And I shared with you about the book of Mark. It was written by Mark, but it was ascribed by Peter. Peter was the one that told Mark about the events because Mark was not an apostle. And so he spent a lot of time with Peter. And so Peter shared with him all the events. And I said that the book of Mark was a, a book of Jesus's action. It was more about Jesus and what he did than what he said, although there are some things that Jesus said, but you see the acts of Christ and uh, how he loved and how he moved and operated. And I want you to think about this too. Whenever you read the Bible, especially looking at Jesus, whenever you see Jesus doing something, Jesus did nothing that did not please the Father. Everything he did always pleased the Father. And God said himself, this is my beloved son. In him, I'm well pleased. So when you see Jesus and you see the things he did, then you must know that God was approving of that, that he was well pleased of those things. And so when we saw Jesus heal the man with the withered hand, a lot of times we have a question in our mind, is it God's will to heal? Well, in this very case, we see Jesus heal the man with a withered hand. We see Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. You know, we see Jesus casting out demons and all these kinds of things, which I know today's society, they don't believe that there are demons, and that's a demon. <laughs> the fact that you don't believe that there are demons, that's demonic itself, and that's the, the greatest ploy of the devil is to make you think that whatever the Bible's teaching is not true. But uh, there are demons today, and I'm not a person in demonology. I don't study demons. I study the word. You know, I'm not going to go into a deep study on the devil when I can get a real study on Jesus and, and everything that Jesus is, the devil isn't. You see, I don't really need to know as much about him as I need to know about my Savior. Amen. And see, so what, whatever you see Jesus do, you see him teaching. It is the will of God for us to know and understand God does not want his people to be ignorant of the truth. And one of the interesting things about it is that if God had you to be ignorant, you could not be held accountable for the things you're doing or things you have done. And so he wants us to become aware that there is a behavior and a conduct in which a person who comes to Christ must live a certain way, not in order to get saved, but because you're saved. There's a difference. People do good things to be saved or think they're going to get saved, but we do good because we're saved. And, and, you know, we practice good because we're saved. And we don't get it right all the time. Amen? I mean, sometimes the good we do doesn't reach. It doesn't reach its potential and really help people. And it does more harm than good. But, again, because we are already Christians, we say Jesus is Lord. We believe that God raised him from the dead. And it is the confession of our mouth and the belief in our heart that God has done this. And so, thereby, we're saved. And we're called born again. We're called saved, you know, in that sense. But we have to realize that because of that relationship we have with Jesus, that's what gives us a relationship with the Father. In John 14, 6, Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except he come through me. And in my studies of the Bible, we didn't see any indication of God being called Father until Jesus revealed him 
as my heavenly father. I mean, he was called all kinds. He has many names, El Shaddai, Elohim, Yahweh. I mean, so many names of the Bible, you know, Jehovah Jireh. But nobody really had an intimate relationship to where they could really call him father until Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. No one get to the father except they come to me. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. You see it all through the New Testament where Jesus talks about the Father. And I do those things which are pleasing to my Father. You know, and so uh, Jesus t taught us about God as being a Father intimately. You see, and so I know that as we sang this song today, he's a good, good Father. Amen. A good, good Father. Amen. So in Mark chapter 4, we find the parable of the sower and the soils that he sows into. And this is a great parable. I love this parable. I've read this a number of times. I'm sure you have too. But let's take a look at it line by line, verse by verse. And let's see what the Holy Spirit reveals to us today. And we'll start reading the verse one of Mark chapter four. And it says, and he began to teach again by the sea and such a very great multitude gathered to him that he got into a boat into the sea and sat down and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. So you get a picture of this great multitude and so big that it presses Jesus into the ocean. He's in a boat in the sea to try to minister to these people. And it says this in verse two, and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. He says, listen to this, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it came about that as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. In verse five, it says, and other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. Verse six, and after the sun had arisen, it says it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse seven, and the other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Look at verse eight. And the other seed fell into good soil. Say good soil. Good soil. Say it one more time. Good soil. good soil. Fell into good soil. And as they grew and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30 60 and 100 fold. And then he said in verse nine, and he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And you see the conditions in which the seed was sown. And I just kind of want to just recant that just for a minute. You know, as he talked about the first notion of sowing, it went by the wayside. The seed was sown out on the outside, on the outskirts, maybe on the side of the road. Uh, I don't think they had curbs then. It was just like dirt and just more dirt, but it was off the side of the, the road that they walked on or they traveled on. And then there were some sown in areas where there was shallow uh, sowing, so the seeds really couldn't take any root and it was too shallow. And so the sun would arise because there was no root or depth of root that it would dry it up. So on the wayside and then on a shallow soil. And then he says there are some sown amongst thorns. You know, you have these bushes and these thorns and thistles and these kinds of things. So the seed kind of falls into there and it says the weeds and the thorns 
choked it out. It did grow, but it choked it out because of all of the uh, adversity of trying to grow through thorns and thistles. And then he says that some was sown on good soil. You know, and kind of to me, it gives the idea that it was soil that was ready, prepared to be sown into. You know, and so it was sown into that soil. And I thought it was interesting that it produced, but the seeds produced some 30, some 60, and some 100. And then Jesus says, because this is a parable, he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And we all have ears, but do we have hearing ears? We have this little collar outside the side of our head. It's kind of like a little, little speaker. Yeah, it's just right there. And it just takes in sound. And all of you can hear my voice, but do you really hear what I'm saying? Because there's an outer ear and then there's an inner ear. You know, and the inner ear is not just the makings of the little bones and the little skin that's there that the sound reverberates off and comes there, but it goes and talks about the hearing that a person can hear with their spirit or hear with their heart or hear with the intentions to act on what God says. See, so he that has ears to hear, and this is dangerous for you to sit in a service and get this kind of teaching because when you've been exposed to the truth and then you disobey it, it's called rebellion. And many of us can sit in a church like this and hear the word go forth. And as soon as we leave a place, depending on how it was sown, some of you may be wayside right now. I don't know who you are. Some of you might be shallow in depth, maybe not allowing the word to take root in you because you're just not enough depth to you. Some of you might be full of thorns and thistles. You got so many things going on in your life that you hear what God is saying but everything that's around you is killing out that anointing, that anointing and the power of God's word in your life. And then there's some of you who sit here and your, your soil is ready. You came, you were ready to go. You plowed your heart before you got here. You prayed to God. Everything was just ready to be sown into. And so you're producing in your life 30, 60, 100 fold. And I look at that as like there are some times in your life when God's word comes in, you're going to reap 30, 60, 100 percent in your life. So you never know which one it's going to be because you don't know pretty much what God is doing. It's like corn, planting corn. You plant the stock, there's a seed, the seed dies, and then it grows, it germinates, it comes through as a little blade, and then there's a stock, and then there's the ear, and then the full ear of the corn. And then when you pull that off, you take the corn out, get rid of the little husk around it, and pull the little uh, silky stuff off of it. You look at it from that one seed in that one stock of corn, just one on the stock, you've got all these other seeds. All these other seeds. Now, if you got so many heads and so many ears of corn on there, you got so many more seeds than when you started. And that's kind of what God is talking about. When you sow on good soil, you're always going to produce more than what's been sown. Always. There's no such thing as somebody coming to God and not being organic or being productive or producing. When you don't produce, you're looked at as a dead branch. So I have to get out of Mark for just a second to take you to another address so you can see what I'm talking about because we're talking about how seeds are sown. Some by the wayside, some in shallow soil, some in thorny soil, some on good soil. Let's go to John 15. John 15, and we'll come back to this. John 15, since we're talking about the growth, and I told you that it all has to do with relationship. In John 15... He says in verse 1, Jesus is talking. 
He says, I am the true vine. And I always like to stop and think about that, which means there are other vines out there, but they're not true vines. He says, I am the true vine. He wouldn't have said it like that if he didn't mean to have an emphasis on the fact that he is the true vine. I am the true vine, verse 1 of 15, and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me, you see that part where he says in me? So he's not talking to people who don't know him. He's talking, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, talking about the father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, the father, prunes it. And why does he prune it? That it might bear more fruit. God wants us to bear more fruit. And some of what you experience in life may not be the devil messing with you. It might be God pruning you. Sometimes, you know, we go through a trial and we call it a trial or a situation and we've been bearing fruit and you're wondering, man, I've been doing what God says. I've been praying. I've been coming to hear the word. I've been witnessing the people. And why am I having so much conflict and adversity in my life? Why? And rather than ask why, you might want to know that if you know Jesus, you know the Father, you know the Holy Spirit. So you know that God is for you and not against you. So if things persist in happening to you while you're doing what you know to be the right thing, receive it because it could be pruning. Every good husbandman or every good person who plants a vineyard looks at their tree first in the seasons that they first plant it. They know that the tree can't bear the best fruit when it's young and tender in its first year, second year, or third year. So what they do is they make the tree healthy, fertilizing it, taking care of it, until it's strong enough to be able to bear more fruit. And while they're doing that in those years, they're clipping the branches so that the branches can become more strong, more sap can come to the branches, more nutrients could come to where the tree is more healthy and able to bear more fruit. Now, you wouldn't say to a person who has an orchard, why are you hurting your trees when they're clipping them back? If you have any sense about what it is when you're planting something that it has to be cut back. My mom used to grow roses. I remember when we first put the rose bush out there, it was a little skinny rose bush, really skinny. It's like just kind of limp. And my dad would go out there, these little short pruning things, and he would clip it back to the rose, look like it was dead. And he'd cut it back to about this tall. And the next year, he would do the same thing. After about two to three years, that rose bush was about this big and about that wide, and the thorns were that big on it. And the roses were huge. And nothing was limp. Nothing was just like falling off. And see, God doesn't want you limp. He doesn't want you weak. He doesn't want you not being able to shine and be in purpose what he's called and destined you to be. And so he's going to clip you. He is going to prune you. Now, you might ask, how long is the pruning going to go on? It's going to go on as long as you're alive. <laughs> it starts when you're little. And it doesn't finish when you get older. Because the older you get, the more mature you get, the stronger you are, you know. And so God's going to prune you so the more beautiful the fruit that you produce. And that's what's happening here. He's telling them, if you are branching me and you don't bear fruit, I'm going to snip you away. I used to get so mad at my dad because he used to prune my hair all the time. <laughs> Y'all may not know this, but back in my day when we grew up, all the young kids wanted afros. The big afros, you know. And uh, I wanted an afro. And um, right when my hair get about a certain length, my dad goes, what kind of hair cut you want, son? 
I said, well, I want you to kind of just clip it around the ends and leave a little bit on the top. And I was so excited, he put the thing on me. And he go to get the clippers out and he go, whoops. I go, what happened, Dad? He's all, got to cut it all off. <laughs> and every night I would lay on my pillow, the tears on my eyes. And before I go to school, I'd say, God, please make my hair grow back before I go to school tomorrow. And I'd go to bed and lay down and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go to the mirror and be bald head. <laughs> and I would cry on my way to school because I had a bald head. Everybody else had afros. Well, later on, vindication came. When I got an afro, nobody was wearing afros anymore. <laughs> and my dad was no longer in the pruning business. Now, I love a bald head. <laughs> I'm pushing forth with more fruit in Jesus' name. <laughs> so, in verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, in verse 4, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now he's talking about a relationship here. And then he, he reminds us, he says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire where they are burned. In verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Remember you have ears to hear? And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish or will, and it shall be done for you. Now, we know that that last piece is not without context because it doesn't mean that I can ask for anything that I want. I mean, we can't go to dinner and I ask God for your plate and take it. You, know, you might beat me up if I take your plate. But my point is, in the construct and confines of a relationship that has been mapped out by God, his will, his plan for our life, we learn these things as we grow in the grace of God. So you learn how to pray, you learn how to speak, you learn how to behave and act. Well, anything in line with what God has made available to us for personal growth and ministry and the help of others, God says we can ask for it and he'll do it. You see, because that's unselfish asking. You can't just be selfish in your asking. And a lot of the reason why you haven't gotten some of the prayers that you've asked, there's two reasons why you don't get your prayer answered. It's like God says no. <laughs> Straight up, sometimes he says no. People don't believe it, but God does say no. And other times he says not now. Sometimes it's no. I mean, some of the silly things I asked God for growing up in my silliness. I was just so, I'm so kind of embarrassed. I'm not even share this stuff with you. The stuff that I asked God for now that I've grown up a little bit. Well, Paul talked about this a little bit. When I was a child, I spake like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things but he didn't put away childlike things, which are different. Things that are childlike are different than childish. And I was so childish in my growth when I first came to the Lord because I went to so many different denominations and churches and everywhere I went, everybody believed something different. So I was just confused. And so I really didn't know what to think or pray. And I was so confused, I got discouraged. And yet God was faithful. Let me just say that. 
God was faithful in getting us to a place we need to be and putting people around me that could steer me the right way. And I love people who point me to scripture. I mean, I love your experience. That, don't, don't get me wrong. You have good experiences, and that's wonderful. But if your experience doesn't line up with the scripture, I can't glean from you what you need me to know because you're not sharing the scripture with me. I want to share the scripture with you so you can get your own experience with God. Because if I tried to get your results, I'd have to do what you did and be you. And since I'm not you and I'm not doing what you did, I can't get your results. So what God did for you, like Sister uh, Liberta was singing here today about God being a good father. That was her experience with what God has done for her. And God may do similar things for me, but it's going to be different. Right? And see, so you want to give people the gift of their own personal relationship with the word of God in learning scripture so that God can take them on their own personal journey and map out the plan that he has for them. All of us are together, but our plans are different. We will culminate and meet in the same place eventually one day, but we're going to get there a little differently according to what God says. Some people are going to need a lot more pruning than others. You hear what I just said? I feel like I've been cut back for the last 25 years. I'm looking for a bud of some kind. Please, God. I've been 25 years. I've been, you know, believing and trusting and trying to believe God for this and that. And I said, man, you know, either I'm being pruned really well and it's going to be some kind of big fantabulous fruit coming out of my life because it's been I can't see with my eyes or quantify with my senses what God is doing because he says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. So there's nothing around me that tells me, that indicates to me that everything is going to be what God says, but my faith. I can't pick it up like any way. You know, I'm trying to see. Can I, can I see God? I want to see what you're doing. We always want to see what he's doing. We want to believe when we see him. What did he say to Thomas? He says, seeing is not believing. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. You see, so I feel like I'm being pruned. I feel like, you know, God's doing something powerful in my life. And when he says in seven, if you abide in me and my words... How many of the words of God are abiding in you? He says, if my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So your only task today is to get the word of God abiding in you and you abiding in it. And go back to Mark really quick here. Mark, and he just finished out just this whole thing on the seed and how it's being sown. So in verse 10, it says this, Mark 4:10, And as soon as he was alone... His followers, along with the 12, so you see that he had 12, and then he had other followers at this time following him. He says, began asking him about the parables. And listen, verse 11, and he was saying to them, to you, he says, has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, get everything in parables. So he's teaching this and sharing with them why he's talking the way he is. Now listen at verse 12. In order that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand unless they return and be forgiven. So in other words, God's not going to reveal the plan or the mystery to those who have hard heart or those who are not willing to come in. So now let's look at the explanation from the Bible, what the parable meant, because we can put all of our spins on it. But I'm going to give it to you exactly the way the Bible says it so you can go home and read it for yourself and let God do further ministry and perhaps further pruning. Amen. Amen. Take a look at this. So here it is explained in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? 
And how will you understand all parables? Now, verse 14 says, in the parable, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And listen, when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away or steals the word which has been sown in them. So you see the first criteria when the word's being sown beside the road? It says that as those seeds go to the outside of the walkway, he talks about the birds come and eat the seeds, but he relates the birds to Satan. Because you could be sitting in this room and kind of have a wayside mentality. And as I'm sharing the word with you, the Holy Spirit's trying to minister to you, but the devil's coming in and he's stealing the word that's being sown. Just taking it away. And the Bible says immediately this happens. So that's why we have to be disciplined listeners. You got to be on purpose. And here's what I think. And you don't have to take it. This is just what I think. Why dress up and come all this way to church and not listen? Why drive all the way from San Diego and come up here and think about butterflies right. <laughs> while the word's going on? Or where are you going to eat after service? <laughs> or what homework you got left to do when you get home? Oh. Or what he got on or what she got on? Why do all of that? It's a waste of time. You could have got another hour or two of sleep, right? You could have had breakfast on the bay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why do all of that? and not come prepared to listen. So you have to be a disciplined listener, not be on the wayside. Because immediately if you're on the outside, on the wayside, the devil, the Bible says Satan comes immediately to steal the truth of what's being said. Sometimes I used to sit in churches and rather than listen to the preacher, I used to try to figure out how much more I knew than what he was saying. You're not listening to what God is doing now. And I learned this a long time ago, no matter what I know, I can always learn something else. And if I'm going to sit and critique who's teaching, Satan is stealing the seeds that's being sown. Critique me later. Listen to what I'm saying now. <laughs> Write it down. Critique it. Pray about it. You see me again. Come talk to me. But don't let the devil steal from you this morning. You know, don't let him have it. Pastor got a new shirt on. Never seen that shirt before. <laughs> What's that got to do with the teaching? <laughs> You might see a new shirt every week from now on. <laughs> so I'll surprise you. But my point is, that's not why we're here, right? We're not here to, to worry about who's got on this fashion show, all this stuff. We're not worried. What we're concerned with is what is God saying to us now? And he just said to us, if we sit on the side, the enemy has availability to steal immediately the word that's being sown. Does that make sense? So... Verse 15 again, and these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. Now take a look at 16. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky places. Talked about that little shallow or not enough depth in there. Who, when they hear the word, in both cases they heard the word, it says again, immediately receive it with joy. So they hear the word, these guys, and they're happy about it. Some of you are in here, you hear the word, oh man, this is pretty good today. I like what I'm hearing. You're excited about it. But look what happens to you in your excitement because there's not enough depth. There's not enough, you know, places where you can take root in things. A lot of people 
have a non-committed relationship with God. They kind of do what they want to do, and they show up to meet God at church like they show up for everything else, late or not concerned about it or just not really committed and hard about it. So, but they get excited when they hear it. They're always the ones that patch it back. Good word today, Pastor. Good word. But then when, they're, when it's time to do the work of the ministry, they're not there. I ain't calling nobody's name, so don't look at anybody. I wonder who that is. It could be all of us at various times. Amen. But they receive it with joy, the Bible says. And look at 17. And they have no firm root within themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises, listen to this now, because of the word, again, the word immediately, they fall away. So everything is good until things is not good. <laughs> it's all fine. How you doing, brother? I'm full of joy today. I'm blessed in the name of Jesus. I'm so blessed I can't be stressed. Every, all the things people say. But when persecution, trouble comes, problem comes, they fall away. And you look at them, what happened? Oh, man, I'm just overloaded with so many things. Well, you were so blessed to be stressed. What happened? <laughs> now you're nothing but stressed. There's no commitment. See, you're not making a commitment to this church. You're definitely not making a commitment to me. <laughs> Who am I? Your commitment is to God. And anybody who understands that their commitment to God, you know, people tell me sometimes, oh, pastor, I didn't make it a church. What are you telling me for? I don't take attendance. I don't do roll call. But the Holy Spirit does. So you got to think about that when you come to a place and you Unite in fellowship. Now, I understand it's a courtesy for people to let people know, oh, I'm not going to be here, especially if you work in the ministry. You know, you work in the ministry, got the sound people over here, and they just don't show up, don't tell anybody, and we're waiting for the sound. The sound is gone. That's different. But as a member of the body of Christ, your attendance is with God because you can be here with us and not be with God. You can show up in attendance in church, but a heart not be with God. So the best place to start is heart with God before you start showing up with us. Amen. Think about that. I'm not looking for head counts. I'm looking for heart counts. Amen. Amen. How many hearts showed up today? How many souls showed up today? Not just presence of bodies of people to fill the room. Oh, church was really stacked today. We had so many people. It was standing room only. But how many hearts did we have? How many souls and minds did we renew? How many commitments did we deepen? How much more love did we spread? See, that's the thing that needs to be looked at. And so an individual comes in, they're excited about things. And, you know, a lot of times people look at me, Pastor, aren't you excited? Well, internally I am. I don't let a lot of stuff happen outwardly because I've learned that in the past when you get outwardly excited about a lot of things, you can mislead yourself. You got to let the game finish. <laughs> All right? You got to let it finish. You got to finish the full course of the thing. So here it is. They fall away too. So now look at verse 18. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. So in three cases, they all heard the word. All right. And one was on the wayside. One was among rocks. The other one's among thorns. Now here's this one. This is the thorns in verse 19. And the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things 
enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, let me say it like this. You see it in your Bible, it says it becomes unfruitful. You don't become unfruitful. The word becomes unfruitful in you, which makes you unfruitful. So the focus is not on you not bearing fruit. It's because of your distraction of looking at what's worrying you all the time. The problems. Everybody's worried about the presidency. Is Donald Trump going to do what he says? You should worry about whether God's going to do what he says. Our prayers should be to God for the president and the government. Don't put the pressure on a man. It's God who works all things in all things for his good. I don't look at President Trump except to pray for him. I don't look at the cabinet except for to pray for them. Don't look for the House Representative. I pray for them. If you are a Christian and you're not praying for those people, then you are outside of the word of God. Save your opinions on who's president or who's not president, who didn't get president, who could have did a better job. Save all of that and put it into prayer. Nothing happens without God permitting it. Hallelujah. I'll encourage myself if y'all can't say amen. You think anything around her happens without God knowing? <laughs> I mean, you got to think about that. You're mad about something that God already knows. Hillary would have became president, you'd have been mad at something she did. Trump becomes where you're mad. If I became president, you'd hate me. I wouldn't accept that job, though. <laughs> That's a rough job. But my point is nothing happens without God allowing and permitting it for his purposes. And never look at the beginning of a story. Get to the end. Got to get to the end. The race is to the one that endures. It's not to the swift. It's to the one that endures, to the one that finishes. So spend your time in prayer for our country. Our country has been the light of the world for a long time. That light is growing dim. We need to pray, get this now, not just for the government in and of itself, for the light to get brighter, the church has to get stronger. We're placing all this confidence in the government, but if the church was much brighter, it could influence the government. If the church was more salty, it could preserve our country. If, if, the, cert, if the church had more of God's love in it, the church could be on the forefront of everything that's happening. So it's really, it's the church. We've got to ask for God to raise the church up. To pull the churches in one accord and on one mind, one heart, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Pull the churches together so we show a strong front, so we become influencers rather than people looking for a handout. I don't need a faith-based initiative. I need faith in God. There's nothing you can give me to make me strong in God except for what God has already given me, a relationship with him. And so sometimes taking handouts don't give you a hand up. It causes problems. You become connected to something you can't get away from. we got to trust God. If we ever needed to trust God, this is the time to trust God now as a people. Trust him. You have to think about that. Verse 18 again, he says, And others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. And the worries, think about what worried or concerned about of this world 
and the deceitfulness, the Bible says, of riches. Riches have a deceitfulness about it. It has a promise that it could make you okay, but riches never make anybody okay. And the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful in your life. Look at verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on good soil. And they hear the word and they accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, a lot of this is where some of the prosperity preachers get that, you know, when you give to God, he gives you a hundredfold blessing. That's not what that said. That's not even good economics. I mean, I'm going to give God a dollar and he's going to give me a hundredfold back. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God is not in the banking business. He's not. He's not in the banking business. He's not in the investment business in the sense that we're making good investments. You give God $10, he's going to give you a hundredfold. And I hear him on the radio. If you give God $10, he'll give you a hundredfold blessing. He's lying out of the side, the front, and the back of his mouth. It's not that God doesn't bless his people. But it's never on a system like what people have been preaching today. I mean, I read back in my Bible and I look at Abraham. How many of you know the Bible says Abraham was a wealthy man? In all the stories that I read of Abraham, I never heard anything that he named it and claimed it, that he confessed it and possessed it. It said that he was rich and God blessed him. Amen. And, and I never saw, when I read the book of Job, the Bible says he was one of the wealthiest men in all the land. Never seen any dialogue from God of how Job got his riches. But when I hear the preachers today talking about the blessing and where it comes from, it never comes from the sources that we hear in the Bible of the people who are already rich. Solomon never named it, never claimed it, never possessed it because he never confessed it. What Solomon asked God for was wisdom and understanding of how to rule so great a people. And God said, because you haven't asked for this or that, I will bless you with that and then some. He had an and then some God all over the Bible. So when I see this heresy of this stuff coming in, of people telling people, sow and give your money to God, he won't let you down. And you see the people at the end of the year, and I've had talks with them since I've been in the ministry for quite some time. And they will tell me, you know, Pastor, I really feel disappointed. And I say, why do you feel disappointed? You know, I've heard on television these guys would say, sow this money and God would bless me. Do you know how much money I was in debt? I said, how much? The exact amount of money that I sowed. Because they were sowing with the wrong hope. I think pastors have enough airplanes. Yeah, we got enough big giant houses. We got enough big fancy cars when you're getting it from the people. If you got a business of your own or you're doing something ingenious and you make money and God blesses you because of those things, that's one thing. But when you're taking money and offering from the people and you're the only one walking around okay, wealthy, and all this other stuff, something is wrong with that. Something is wrong with that. It's an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. And again, I'm not against having stuff, but I am against stuff having you. Got to be careful. Everywhere in my Bible where I see God blessing people, he says, give and bless people. Help people. Even in the book of Acts, they had so much that they sold what they had 
and gave it to the apostles to help everybody so that everybody had needs met. Again, I'm not preaching you can't have anything. But just be careful of what has you. Because if you can't give it away, it's got you. And I'm never going to get up here and tell you that you need to put into the offering of God so he can bless you 100-fold. Because that's not what he said. He said here that the word of God in you, when it's sown on good soil, will produce in your life the results of 30, 60, and 100-fold. That was not cash. It was productivity in life and righteousness and living, conduct, behavior, these types of things. That's where we got to start and that's where we got to end. So if you've been blessed to have in this life, keep your heart soft towards God. Stay in humility. Treat your neighbor like yourself. You live in an area where somebody's hurting and you have it. Share your bread with them. You don't have to come to church, put on a church, and, and make the pastor wealthy. I've done a very good thing in this church by keeping myself from whatever people give because I don't want to have that deceitfulness of riches happen to me. So when your offerings come in, they go to God and they go through the hands of capable people who are faithful to God. And I don't know who gives what. So if you gave something nice, don't look at me smiling because I don't know what you did. <laughs> You're thinking pastor is going to come and shake my hand. I'm shaking your hand for some other reason. I have no idea. I have to put deer on there. I have no idea what you gave. Because I'm not looking at the roster going, well, brother, so-and-so didn't give, so I ain't talking to him next week. Well, sister, so oh, let's invite her over for dinner today. No, I stay out of all of that so I can stay with this. Because I am human, right? We got men can make all kinds of mistakes. That's a mistake I don't want to make. Stay out of the way of that kind of stuff. And I don't care. We've had large churches before. We've had small churches. It didn't matter to me. I stayed out of it. I'd come in. As the person who founded it, I said, what's the bottom line and what do we have to pay? Yeah. And we pray about that and we pay it. But I don't know. Somebody tell me, oh, so ah, don't tell me anything. And if you give me any money in my hand, guess where it's going? In the plate. Have people come in and do a pastor handshake. And they do this and they slap money in your hand. Oh, bless your pastor. And I say, oh, praise the Lord. Where's the offering envelope? Bam. You have to do that. What's going to happen when 10,000s of people come into your ministry? If you're doing stuff now, it's only going to get worse later. You got to sow right now the way things are supposed to be and be careful. I love you guys too much to dishonor you. I actually believe in God. I actually believe that when I'm going to stand before God in judgment one day and I dare not do anything to you to stand in God that I'd have to try to tell God I didn't do that when God says I know everything. Because he's going to remind me of some stuff that I've already forgotten. And right about that time, Jesus is going to step in and say, Father, he's forgiven. I'm going to say, "Woo!" We got to be right when it comes to dealing with God's stuff. Amen. Got to make sure. So when he says in 20, and those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the ground, on the good soil. He says, they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I'll tell you, to look at that and see what God is saying now, our focus should just be on good soil. How do I prepare my heart and mind to be good soil? Prayer. Number one, checking your intentions. Making sure you have true humility and not false pride. Making sure that 
you show up to ministry and not your representative. Making sure that you be slow to speak, swift to hear, and slow to get angry. Do those things. Get into the word and read it and let it wash over your mind and your soul. Let God fix the things that are broken. A lot of brokenness in the body of Christ. Today. We've all been hurt. If you've been in the ministry any length of time and going to church any length of time, you've seen things that have hurt you. God needs to bring healing to those things. Amen? Amen. So let me just finish out this little piece here. He says in verse 21, and he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a peck measure. Is it? He asked the question. Or under a bed, is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? In other words, to be lifted up in verse 22. For nothing, listen to this now, is hidden except to be revealed. I want you to think about that today. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. In other words, God's saying everything's going to come to light and everything that's been hidden is going to be revealed one day. And I say to my family, to my Christian brothers and sisters, God already knows. I can try to fool you, and I might be able to get away with some stuff, but God knows. And since I believe in God, I want to do the right thing. And I know, see, talking like this is not the exciting stuff. You know, there are a lot of people sensationalizing the gospel, and they can really, really wag their tongues around and make you feel all excited, have you shouting and screaming and jumping up and down and saying hallelujah. But when I talk like this, it's just main and plain to the word, it's hard for people to receive it because it doesn't send electricity through the crowds of people. It's just the raw truth. And it's kind of like eating your vegetables when you're a child. You want all the good stuff, and as soon as you see that broccoli and those Brussels sprouts and those green beans on the table, your mother's prepared that, and you got the spaghetti with the meat sauce, you're tearing into the spaghetti with the meat sauce. She's eat your veggies, and you're like, that's the way people feel when you talk to them plainly about the word. It's too much vegetables. It's too much coming forth is good for you. It's not exciting enough. And so I want to give you something more exciting. So I got to rile you up, get you going. So we had a good service, but you don't know what the service was about. I'd rather have you hear me and understand me and get excited about what we're doing and not know what happened. When you get out of here today, you can go back home and you can go back over these verses and you can read through them, and you can see that I didn't lie to you, that you can find what we talked about. Amen? Amen. And then he says in verse 23, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. He says that again in verse 24. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Now I want you to think about that right now. Take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you, and more shall be given you besides. In verse 25, and whoever has, whoever, to him shall more be given. Whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. This is why he said, be careful what you're hearing. As I'm sharing the word with you, the word that you have, more shall be given to you. The word that you reject, even what you have is going to be taken from you. It'll slip right out. People find themselves lost outside of faith. They don't know how they got there. Stay in the word. You do yourself a favor if you read the Bible every day. Every day. Think about the things you do every day. Include the Bible in that. 
And I found that if I include the Bible as a priority in my life every day, some of the stuff that I did every day will diminish because the word starts becoming a priority to me. And I believe that in this time, in, in this space that God has us all here, we all met for a reason. And I think there's a work we're to do together. If we can spend our time together getting into the word, loving each other, sharing with each other, we can reach everybody in this complex and then some. There are more people in this complex who have not even heard that there's a ministry here now. And it would be good for us during the week to say, hey, man, come on out for an hour or two and listen to some music and hear some word and fellowship and just come on out. It's free. They don't even charge. <laughs> it would be a good thing. I mean, is that something we could do? Could we share what we're doing with people? I mean, if it's something that you believe in and you feel like it's good for you, if it's good for you, it could be good for others. Amen? And so you just share it with people. And I would love to see it there. I know this room says they only hold 51. It was not my fault if more than 51 show up. So that means God has a problem that he's got to do something about. Amen? So it's not my problem if 53 show up. And we guess they could stand in the hallways, they could stand on the outside or stand over there. But God would have to provide another place for us to be if we tell everybody that should come and they want to come then he would have to provide it. See, that's what's exciting to me. I want to see what God would do if 70 people shows up. What if 125 people show up? God, what are you going to do? Because you know you're the lawgiver and it says 51. I'd just be so excited. I'll just do my job and say, God, do your job. That's not my job. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue next week. Praise the Lord. We'll continue next week.